tonight on NBC. Will everyone in the cardiac surgical department please raise your hands? Thank you. You're all fired. Based on an inspiring true story. Any department who places billing above care, you will be terminated. One doctor will break every rule. Just tell me what you need, what your patients need. To inspire a revolution. Let's get into some trouble. Let's be doctors again. From the network that brings you This Is Us, New Amsterdam, tonight on NBC. This podcast is brought to you by Simply Light. Introducing Simply Light Lemonade. Can you hear that? That's the sweet sound of 75% less sugar and calories. We want to make sure you hear it's 75% less sugar and calories because it tastes so good. and at the same time costs less. The first curry house was opened in London in 1811. Although the ration was intended to provide sufficient food to sustain five men for one day. You're listening to The Feast, where history is served with a dash of hot sauce or a squeeze of lemon. Where we look behind those dates and names everyone knows to the meals that made them. I'm your host, Laura Carlson. And each week, we're bringing you stories of how revolutions can start at lunch counters or how empires can end over dessert. Some of the biggest moments in history happened over dinner, and we're giving you a seat at the table. This is a podcast where meals make history. Today on The Feast, we're looking at the history of my own city of Toronto, Ontario. We'll save you the glorious origins of poutine for another day. Instead, we're looking at a slice of Toronto's culinary history you might not expect. Department Store Dining. It's super spectacular. A celebration. Simpson Super $3 million TV and VCR Canada, of course, is home to one of the oldest stores in the world, the Hudson's Bay Company. But starting from the late 19th century, Toronto also was an early home to some of the largest department stores in the world. It also meant it was home to some of the fiercest rivalries between stores. In order to win over customers, department stores battled over real estate. They battled over prices. They battled over services. And in some instances... They battled over chicken pot pie. You see, in the grand fight to win the hearts and dollars of customers, department stores of the late 19th and early 20th centuries fell over themselves to open lavish dining rooms, places where customers could relax from the stress of shopping and refresh themselves with a light salad or afternoon tea. Stores quickly became famous for their food. And in the case of two Toronto department stores... Eaton's and Simpson's. That reputation was built squarely on the humble chicken pot pie. Today, in honor of this epic battle, we'll be giving both stores one last chance to take home the prize. Both stores claimed the best chicken pot pie in town. Well, we're going to make them, taste them, and let you know which one comes out on top. And along the way, we'll learn the history of the chicken pot pie itself how it started as a Roman dinner favorite, why it showed up in some of the earliest American recipe books, 
and finally, how it made its way into the opulent dining rooms of North America's department stores. We'll be giving you all the pot pie facts you can handle, plus an evening reliving the past at one of the few remaining dining rooms from this era of department store dining. All that and more, today on The Feast. But first, a quick message. The Feast is supported by Zip Schedules. Create and communicate your next work schedule in minutes. And with Zip Schedules Nifty Mobile app, your employees can check and update their schedules from anywhere. Get started for free by visiting zipschedules.com slash thefeast or use the promo code FEAST17 at zipschedules.com when you sign up. I find myself in an interesting situation. It's a cold, early February night, and I've taken the subway down Young Street, the main artery of Toronto. I get off at Queen Street and make my way up an escalator to find myself in the middle of a department store. There are jewelry stands, the makeup counters, the shoe department, all the usual players. But I'm not here to shop. I head to a row of elevators at the side of the building, tucked away, and hit the button for the eighth floor. I emerge onto an entirely different world. Gone are the bright fluorescent lights at the shop floor, the cash registers, the Muzak. Replaced instead with the sweeping lines and nautical themes of late 1920s Art Deco, complete with the sounds of a live jazz band, and a waiter asking me if I'd like to enjoy a French 75 cocktail. Why, yes. Yes, I would. This is the Arcadian Court. And tonight, I've come here for pie. Specifically, chicken pot pie. And from the looks of the room, so have a few hundred other people. Ask one of the many Torontonians here tonight about the Arcadian Court, and within the space of a minute, they can't help but mention the famous chicken pot pie. Now often this is accompanied by a misty, faraway look in their eyes, particularly if they're of a certain age. They'll tell you stories of coming to the Arcadian Court with their grandmothers, for example, for a day of shopping and enjoying a fancy afternoon tea. Or they'll tell you how this was their first job, way back in high school, where it was their job to pluck the meat from hundreds, if not thousands, of roast chickens for six hours straight, without a break for a meal, throwing the white and dark meats into giant cauldrons, all destined for pie. Now I know what you're thinking. What's the big deal? It's just chicken pot pie. It's not exactly groundbreaking food and maybe, in fact, one of the oldest dishes around. So why have we all come here, with the men in their tuxedos and the women in their best cocktail attire, all united in the search for this one particular dish at this one particular place? Well, of course, it's more than just the pie. It's about the room, too. The Arcadian Court is one of the few survivors of an old Toronto. A different Toronto. One where people made a day of visiting department stores downtown. To have a suit altered or fitted by a professional tailor. To watch toy trains whiz by in a two-story toy department. To buy fabric to make a dress. And if that store were Simpsons, 
Of course, it also meant having lunch in the luxurious dining room of the Arcadian court, enjoying that world-famous chicken pot pie. Tonight is one of the few chances people can relive part of that old Toronto experience. Simpsons, the department store is long gone, bought and renamed by another famous Canadian institution, the Hudson's Bay Company. The bones of the old 1890s Simpsons store remain, found somewhere under decades of renovations. The eighth floor is still dedicated to the Arcadian Court, the restaurant that once was the crowning jewel of Simpsons. But even that's a shadow of what it once was. The restaurant closed over ten years ago and was only recently renovated and reopened as a private event space. It's only occasional events like the one tonight that give curious and nostalgic Torontonians a chance to relive a bit of the city's past. And it is quite the past. The Arcadian Court has been open since March of 1929. It's hosted symphonies, cotillions, and royalty. Billed as North America's largest department store restaurant, at its heyday it was able to seat over 1,300 people at a time, The space was big enough to hold an auto show the first year it opened. Winston Churchill gave a talk here in the 1930s, and Sotheby's held its first auction here outside Britain in the late 1960s. But for most people, it was where Toronto did lunch. Times have changed, and so has the Arcadian Court in its new life as a private event space, the kind hired out for weddings or retirement parties. For one thing, It's shrunk inwards. The giant arched windows that originally gave diners sunny views of downtown Toronto were gone. The Simpsons shoppers it was designed to serve have been replaced by those of Hudson's Bay and Saks Fifth Avenue. Now shoppers take a break at an underground food hall, where there's a pizza bar, a yogurt bar, an international cheese wall, freshly made salads, elements that appeal to the 21st century shopper and which have replaced the fine dining style of the Arcadian Court. There is still a sit-down restaurant in the building, where the menu proudly offers what they call the Arcadian Court Chicken Pot Pie, alongside more contemporary classics like roast duck poutine pizza and blackened octopus. So in a sense, Torontonians can rest easy, knowing parts of the legacy of Simpsons, and especially the Arcadian court, live on. But the story doesn't end there. Because this isn't just the tale of one restaurant. It's actually the story of two. You see, to understand the full history of not just the Arcadian court, but also the legendary chicken pot pie, you have to look at both sides of the street. In this case, both sides of Queen Street. Because after all... Nothing fuels corporate culture like a little competition. The location Robert Simpson chose for his department store on the corner of Young and Queen Street was no accident. The spot for the six-story, steel-girded building that went up in 1895, after the first one burned down in a fire, was positioned directly across the street from the other major Canadian department store, Eaton's, named for Timothy Eaton, an immigrant from Ireland who had done well as a dry goods merchant in the 1850s. Starting in the small towns of rural Ontario, Eaton had wanted more for his business and had moved to the heart of Toronto 
in order to capitalize on the city's growing population. Unfortunately, other people had the same idea. Scotland-born Robert Simpson was also looking to move away from the small-town dry goods business, relieving some Torontonians of their big city dollars. Setting up shop in the 1870s at the corner of Young and Queen Streets, Simpson offered city customers anything and everything, from shoes to linens to leather to china. So when Eaton and his store showed up in the neighborhood, a rivalry was born. Simpsons had set up shop on the south side of Queens, Eaton on the north. The two stores faced each other across the road, kicking off a one-upmanship that would last for the next 70 years. And when Eaton opened a beautiful multi-story store in 1882, Simpsons immediately began work on his own six-story building, opened in 1895. When Eaton's installed their first telephone line, offering customers the new ability to phone in their order, Simpsons installed two. Both stores jumped at the new department store concept, a model already popular in cosmopolitan cities like the Bon Marche in Paris, Harrods in London, Macy's in New York, or Marshall Fields in Chicago. This new model was changing how Europeans and Americans shopped, famous for its new insistence on fixed prices with no need to haggle, and letting shoppers wander through the departments without any obligation to buy. By the turn of the 20th century, Eaton's offered 35 different departments, eventually, of course, matched across the road at Simpson's. Of course, the competition between the two also involved food. As part of the new department store experience, stores offered shoppers the chance to rest and refresh themselves without having to leave the store. By 1887, Eaton's featured a coffee room, a move so successful, this was expanded to a full lunchroom by 1899, offering full breakfasts and lunch. On the south side of Queen, Simpsons was eager to keep up. By 1898, Simpsons was offering, quote, substantial meals and light lunches. But these were all prequels to the main event. By the 1920s, both Timothy Eaton and Robert Simpson had died, leaving the management of their stores to a new generation. In Eaton's case, this was Lady Flora McCraig Eaton, the wife of Timothy Eaton's son and heir John. Flora was a pistol, fond of driving fast cars and taking extended trips through Europe. When she had visited London in the late 1910s, she had seen what her competition across the pond was up to. Harrods of London had opened the Georgian Room in 1913 in honor of King George V. It was a luxurious dining room with ornamental marble columns, lush carpets, bone china, and the latest in electric lighting. A place catering to female clientele and the so-called delicate meals they would want. Teas, salads, lighter fare, all in lavish surroundings, with live music and attentive staff. Flora was enchanted. This was what Eaton's in Toronto needed. Flora first pitched the idea of a fine dining restaurant to the board of directors, of which she was a member, in 1921. But she was turned down. Then an interesting thing happened. Her husband, John, 
died suddenly of a heart attack in 1922, and Flora was left holding the reins of one of the biggest stores in Canada. And when she brought up the matter again at a board meeting in 1922, after two hours of intense discussion, it was agreed that a new restaurant would be opened in Eaton's Toronto store. Lady Eaton spared no expense in outfitting the new restaurant, hiring dietary scientists to plan the menu, and spending thousands on personalized china, linen, and glassware, not to mention the walnut chairs for the table, or silk panels that would line the restaurant walls. Lady Eaton didn't even bother to hide the inspiration behind the restaurant's name, naming it the Georgian Room, just like the one at Harrods. The restaurant opened on Monday, March 10th of 1924, to great fanfare. It quickly became the new destination for fine dining and became the place to see and be seen. Both ladies and downtown businessmen made it a habit of having lunch at the Georgian Room. Even those hard-to-win-over Eaton's board members had a corner table permanently reserved for them by the end of the year. Toronto certainly took notice of Lady Eaton's pet project, and none more so than their neighbors to the south at Simpsons. Sure, Simpsons had matched the coffee rooms and small refreshments that Eaton's had been offering since the late 1890s, but the Georgian Room had raised the stakes. Tonight on NBC... Will everyone in the cardiac surgical department please raise your hands? Thank you. You're all fired. Based on an inspiring true story... Any department who places billing above care, you will be terminated. One doctor will break every rule. Just tell me what you need, what your patients need. To inspire a revolution. Let's get into some trouble. Let's be doctors again. From the network that brings you This Is Us, New Amsterdam, tonight on NBC. This podcast is brought to you by Simply Light. Introducing Simply Light Lemonade. Can you hear that? That's the sweet sound of 75% less sugar and calories. We want to make sure you hear it's 75% less sugar and calories because it tastes so good. The battle between the stores was now about fine dining. And without a lavish restaurant to call its own, Simpsons was in danger of looking dreadfully behind the times. Thankfully, plans were already underway to expand Simpsons' door westward along Queen Street, providing the perfect opportunity to include a fine dining restaurant of their very own. And almost exactly five years after the Georgian Room had opened, Simpsons unveiled the Arcadian Court on March 11, 1929. Taking up the entirety of the 8th and 9th floors of the new building, it was considered the largest and finest department store dining room ever built. Just like the Georgian Room, it specialized in light lunches and afternoon tea. So for the staggering price of $1.25, diners could enjoy fresh fruit cocktails, soups, baked ham or chicken a la king, all finished off by fine French pastries, cheese and crackers, or something called a marshmallow fruit sundae, which seems to be a combination of tinned fruit, whipped cream, and marshmallows. Now, marshmallow fruit sundaes aside, I know what you're thinking. Where's the famous chicken pot pie? If you haven't picked up on the trend yet, department stores were famous for looking to their competitors for good ideas. And if imitation is the highest form of flattery, Lady Eaton had it down to a fine art. She had famously copied the style and even the name of Herod's Georgian Room. 
She'd even redesigned the waitresses' uniforms in the 1930s to look more like those at the Birdcage, the popular restaurant of the Lord and Taylor department store in Manhattan. And as far as the chicken pot pie was concerned, it was no different. Marshall Fields, the famous Chicago department store, had made the bold move to start serving larger meals in their tea room back in 1905. Based on a recipe from one of the sales associate's grandmothers, Mrs. Herring, the chicken pot pie soon became a feature of the Marshall Fields experience. Two years later, when Marshall Fields opened its more formal Walnut Room restaurant, the chicken pot pie was on the menu and has never left it. You can still enjoy that famous pot pie in the Walnut Room today. Whether it was Lady Eden who was responsible for introducing the chicken pot pie to the Georgian Room, or if it was Simpson's Arcadian Court which first started the trend in Toronto, isn't entirely clear. The earliest menus from both restaurants often offered a range of pies. But by the late 1940s, menus in both restaurants were not just offering any old chicken pot pie, but the Arcadian Court's chicken pot pie, or the Georgian Room's chicken pot pie, a new ownership of the dish that helped make diners feel they were ordering a specialty of the house. This may have been an attempt to simply imitate Marshall Field's success with Mrs. Herring's famous recipe in Chicago, giving it a personal touch to boost sales of the dish. But what is it about chicken pot pie that made it such a staple of department store dining? After all, pot pies are certainly nothing new. Apicius, who wrote one of the earliest known Roman cookbooks, talks about encasing a bit of ham under pastry and baking it. And the term itself, pie, seems to refer to an easy way of hiding a variety of ingredients under a pastry lid. The Oxford Companion to Food suggests that pie may simply be a shortened form of magpie, a reference to the bird that collects a variety of things similar in the way that a pie can contain any variety of ingredients. Meat pies of all sorts were popular throughout the medieval and renaissance periods, and were among the first recorded recipes in early American and Canadian cookbooks, popping up in Amelia Simmons' 1796 American Cookery, and in what is usually considered the first Canadian cookbook, the fabulously titled The Cook Not Mad or Rational Cookery Book, first published in Canada in 1831. Now, interestingly, an American version was published just one year earlier, casting a bit of doubt on its noble Canadian origins, but that's a story for another episode. Perhaps what this shows is that pot pies were easy, one-dish meals. They were simple to make in bulk, and a pastry linen sauce helped keep the pie warm. A much easier thing to serve than perfectly grilled chicken breast, for example, or medium-rare steak. And when serving a dining room of 1,000, as at the Arcadian court, the chicken pot pie was a lifesaver. The perfect balance that was easy on the kitchen, and with the inclusion of chicken, considered perfect for the so-called lighter lunches the restaurant was known for. A stark difference from the standard beef and potatoes most restaurants and pubs were serving around town. So if both restaurants were famous for their chicken pot pies, why is only the Arcadian courts remembered today in Toronto? Well, as any business will tell you, you have to move with the times. By the 1970s, the Eaton store at Queen & Young, where Lady Eaton's famous Georgian Room restaurant was housed, was almost 90 years old and was starting to feel its age. By then, Eaton's buildings and offices had sprawled throughout downtown Toronto. The future 
was all about the suburbs then, and Edens was interested in shifting its warehouses out of the downtown core. So a plan was devised to clear the field, raising the old buildings and building instead a giant indoor collection of shops and retail spaces, all anchored by a brand new Edens department store. It was all going to be part of that great new trend in retail, the mall. But it did mean that the landmark 1890s building on Young and Queen Street, home of the Georgian Room, would have to be demolished. These plans sealed the fate of the Eaton's restaurants, which by this point had grown beyond the Georgian Room to include at least three other fine dining spaces in downtown Toronto. They served their last meals in 1976, featuring a special closing menu to celebrate their 50 years of operation, including, of course, the famous chicken pot pie. Eaton's had intended to replace the Georgian Room with a restaurant in their new building, what was to be called the Dundas Room, but it never caught on with the Toronto public. The new mall, known as the Eaton Centre, opened in 1977, and at the time was the biggest shopping mall in Toronto. You can hear the 1980s enthusiasm for the Centre in this ad, which aired a few years after the Centre opened. Oh, the 1980s. Eaton's continued as a department store throughout the 1980s and 1990s, but diminishing sales forced it to declare bankruptcy in 1999. Its new flagship store, which was originally intended to anchor the north end of the brand new Eaton's Centre, was closed, along with its other stores throughout Canada. The Eaton Centre Mall kept its name, but was on the desperate hunt for a new resident to take up the large department store whole its namesake left behind. Enter an odd twist of retail fate. You see, Eaton's longtime competitor to the south had taken a slightly different track. By the 1970s, Simpsons was effectively divided. One half of the company owned by Sears Roebuck, the other half by the Hudson's Bay Company. Now, Hudson's Bay slowly dropped the Simpsons name, converting the flagship Simpsons store at the southern corner of Queen and Young to a Hudson's Bay Company in the 1990s. But maybe it was Simpsons who got the last laugh after all. When the Eaton's department store finally closed its doors in the Eaton's Center in 1999, guess what moved in? A Sears, the only remaining relic of the old Simpsons Company. And what about all those memories of chicken pot pie? Well, it's now been over 30 years since Eaton's served its last chicken and pastry, and few people, if any, still remember the Georgian Room. The Arcadian Court did have a longer legacy, only closing in 2004, which may explain why so many folks have headed out on this February night to relive its glory days. But even those chicken pot pie memories might be fading. There's not even chicken pot pie on the menu tonight, only offered as a small hors d'oeuvre. But I say it's high time we give these two warring pot pies one last hurrah. We've found the recipes for both iconic dishes, and I think it's time to put these two titans of industry to the test. For Eaton's recipe, we'll be using that featured in the fabulous book about Lady Eaton and her restaurants by Carol Anderson and Catherine Mallinson, called 
Lunch with Lady Eden, Inside the Dining Rooms of a Nation. In the book, they feature what they call is the original Georgian room chicken pot pie recipe, based on their research of the many menus and kitchen notes from the original Eaton's location. And in the other corner, representing the legacy of the Arcadian court, we have a recipe by Bannock, the restaurant currently occupying the ground floor of the original Simpsons building, and a member of the event company that owns and operates the Arcadian court as a private event space. Now, we could have just gone to Bannock and ordered one of these pot pies, but in the interest of fairness, we thought we'd make both recipes ourselves at home, seeing which one came out on top. Which meant we were facing down making not one, but two chicken pot pies. But here at the feast, we're willing to do pretty much anything in the name of historical research. The two recipes were actually surprisingly different. That is to say, frustrating in different ways. The Eaton's recipe asked us to make our own double-crust pastry for our pie, but neglected to give us any actual recipe for it or the quantity of pastry we would need for the pie. Bannock's Arcadian Court recipe asked us to roast a whole chicken for the pot pies, but at the same time told us it was fine to use frozen puff pastry for our lids. Overall, it was clear that Eden's recipe came from a slightly different era of dining, including a fricassee sauce made of chicken fat, flour, and butter. The other ingredients in the pie also seemed to harken back to older dining days, including red pimiento and potatoes shaped into little balls, a task that seems remarkably pointless when they're going to be stuck into a pie. The Arcadian courtside seemed a bit more familiar, calling for carrots, celery, peas, and more than a small amount of cream. But remember, this is a dish that is still served today, so it's got to appeal to modern diners. So when all this fricasseeing, pastry-making, and baking was done, who came out the winner? Okay, so you have Simpsons, the Arcadian Court Pie, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I am trying the Eaton's Pot Pie. Um, now, mine's creamy. You can definitely taste the red pimiento that's in it, or the pepper. I do like the crust, like the double crust or the whatever it was called. What do you think? Uh, mine is extremely creamy. Well, that's to be expected when there's two and a half cups of cream in it. Now, what do you think of the crust on yours? You mean the puff pastry from Whole Foods crust? Yes, the puff pastry from Whole Foods crust. Although, in our defense, the recipe did call for frozen puff pastry, whereas... The Eatons asked us to make our own, although ironically did not give us the recipe for double crust pastry. It just said, make double crust pastry. It's good. I like it. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. Should we swap? I want to taste how amazing the potatoes are when they're cut into cubes. You can really taste the pepper. Mm Mm-hmm. This is definitely creamier. Like, I mean, that, the Eatons is creamy, but this, you can tell there's actual cream in it, which, of course, there is. Quite a significant amount. The Eatons is kind of rooey. Like, you can tell that there's kind of been a roux made and done here, but it doesn't have the same creaminess of the... No, I believe that's the fricassee that we made. This pastry is way better. The Arc- the yeah. Arcadian Court. No, Eaton's. Eaton's, Eaton's pastry is better. Which I would kind of expect from the homemade... True, but puff pastry I just find never gives like a, a full enough pastry covering. Like, it's just too light. So you just end up with more crackle than substance. Well, yeah, it tastes like crackle air and, like, maybe vegetable ones. But that's about it. I mean, I like that there are more vegetables in 
beans. Sorry, in the Arcadian courts. I like the vegetables in the Arcadian court ones. Just because... As you can probably tell, it was hard enough to remember whose pie was whose, let alone the ability to compare the two. Because in the end, the best pie would really have been a combination of both. The homemade double crust of Eaton's, plus all the lovely cream and vegetable interior of the Arcadian court pie. Weirdly enough, our pot pie bake-off ended up basically like the companies themselves. Bits and pieces of one department store blended with elements of the other, all in the name of appealing to 21st century tastes. We'll put up links to both Eaton's and Simpson's recipes on our website at www.thefeastpodcast.org, as well as photos from our little pot pie experiment. Now all that's left to do is to eat the leftovers. The Feast is written and produced by me, Laura Carlson. Technical direction and baking expertise by Mike Port, who will be very happy if he never has to cube another potato in his life. Special thanks to the Hudson's Bay Company Archives and the City of Toronto Archives, whose resources on Eaton's and Simpson's were invaluable in helping us put together this episode. Special thanks as well to the Owen B. Company, which is helping to keep the Arcadian Court alive and kicking, both as an event space in downtown Toronto, as well as the infamous chicken pot pie tradition at their Bannock restaurant. If you like the feast, why not leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts? And if you'd like to help keep us going, consider becoming a contributing member on Patreon. We rely on you, our listeners, to keep this podcast up and running. When you become a contributing member, you'll get exclusive newsletters about upcoming episodes and events, feast t-shirts, and all kinds of goodies. Sign up to become a member today at www.patreon.com slash feastpodcast. And if you're looking for more great podcasts, why not look up the Humanities Podcast Network on Twitter, where you can find lots of great shows on art, language, trivia, and history by searching for the hashtag Humanities Podcasts. Music featured on today's episode includes songs by Jazar, the Heftone Banjo Orchestra, Kevin McLeod, and the trio Grossman, Ewell, and Granger. And that's it for us this week. We'll be back in two weeks' time with more Meals That Made History. I'm Laura Carlson, and this is The Feast. Will everyone in the cardiac surgical department please raise your hands? Thank you. You're all fired. Based on an inspiring true story. Any department who places billing above care, you will be terminated. One doctor will break every rule. Just tell me what you need, what your patients need. To inspire a revolution. Let's get into some trouble. Let's be doctors again. From the network that brings you This Is Us, New Amsterdam, tonight on NBC.